no matter how their birth went, they are worthy of rest. I think that's a really hard thing for us um, as women, as mothers, as people in this current culture to be able to slow down and not feel the need to be productive at all costs. Because when we're postpartum, the cost is our healing, is our recovery, and as we see very often, is our mental state. Listening to the Naturally Noel Show, brought to you by Noel's Naturals, all natural products that really work. And now, please welcome entrepreneur, wife, homeschooling mom of four, and founder of the Noel's Naturals brand of products, your host, Noel Talley. Hey everyone, welcome to the show today. This is your host, Noel Talley, and today I am talking with Mary Catherine Hamelin, who is a midwife, a maternal and family health advocate, and mom of two. She has attended births and supported families in all kinds of settings for the last 13 years and has a solo home birth practice based in Tampa, Florida. Her work centers on connecting families with their own nature and integrating modern and traditional midwifery practices for healthy and holistic care. And she was my midwife at my most recent birth. So I'm really excited for you to get to be a part of our conversation today as we discuss how we can better support ourselves in the postpartum period and how we can support other women. Thanks for joining us. Well, welcome to the show today, Mary Catherine. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited you're here. I haven't seen you in a little while since my last postpartum visit. I know. It's been, yeah, almost a year. Well, she just turned one. So yeah, um, I'm so happy you're here. So I came to you. I had had three out-of-hospital births, which were wonderful experiences, but this little baby came right in the middle of covid which was a fun experience. And so I really just felt like it would be more comfortable to be home with a family. And especially with having three littles, I wanted to have them close by. So it was really just such a wonderful experience. And I knew you through the community and through doula work. And yeah, so tell me your insight into my birth. (laughs) Um, It was, there were a There were a good handful of people who, yeah, in the last year decided at different points in pregnancy that they wanted a home birth. So it was a really interesting time for midwifery, for home birth. People wanted their families to be part of their experiences. They didn't want to be seen at these intermittent schedules. They didn't want to be seen, you know, quickly and in their cars or, you know, different things like that. So it was a really nice opportunity to bring home birth into this more national awareness. But yeah, so it was really nice to be able to take care of you in your home and have all your kids be part of the experience, to get to know them too, and um, and to get to know your family at your birth. You know, yeah. you got to have everybody there that you wanted and to really take ownership of your experience. Yeah. So that's always a really rewarding thing for me. Home birth was like a crunchy bucket list item for me. <laughs> I had had such a wonderful experience at the birth center after my first son was born that I, you know, originally had thought, oh yeah, I'll do home birth eventually. But it was just such a great environment that I thought, you know what, we're just going to keep on doing this. And so when we had our surprise number four, I was like, you know what, I don't get my crunchy card unless I have a home birth. <laughs> So I was so happy that we were able to do it. It was a very different birth experience for me than the others. I had a very weird early labor. It was 
kind of like this mild early labor that I didn't know was even for kids. I was not really sure I was in labor. I remember texting you at like five and we were still like debating whether you were going to come. And I think she was born maybe like four hours later after that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 My assistant didn't make it in time. That's right. Yeah. She was on the road and I was like, we've got this. It's fine. Yeah, I remember being at another visit, getting a couple of texts from you, and I was like, I'm just going to head over. Yeah. Because um, you knew you knew that she was on the way. Yeah, and those fourth babies, man, they, they come out quickly. <laughs> they do. Your body knew exactly what to do at that point. <laughs> so one of the really beautiful things, and really the reason that I became a doula is because I was so well-supported by my family, and, you know, my husband's a great birth coach, and... You know, I have a really involved mom and dad, and my sister, you know, was around. And so I had a great support system after the baby was born. And, you know, I, I realize not everyone listening will have had a home birth or a birth center birth or even a natural birth. And that's totally fine. I've certainly been a doula to many hospital birth clients who wanted the epidural or maybe went in not thinking they were going to do the epidural, but that ended up being the right path for them. And, you know, I've been in the OR for cesareans and that's always, you know, a different experience than usually people are expecting. And so I've, I've seen all the different ways and I'm sure, you know, I know you have seen all the different ways that birth can go. So not everybody would be coming from the same experience. However, the one thing that we all share as moms who have given any kind of birth is that we will have some sort of postpartum experience. So that's really what I kind of want to focus on today is what things, regardless of the way that you deliver, can we really do better on, you know, as either as an advocate for ourselves or as we support other women? Yeah. Um, postpartum is something I'm really passionate about because even as a home birth midwife, I midwife people through all kinds of birth experiences and continue to take care of them regardless of what outcome their birth had. So I really try to instill in people the value of rest and the idea that no matter how their birth went, they are worthy of rest. I think that's a really hard thing for us um, as women, as mothers, as people in this current culture to be able to slow down and not feel the need to be productive at all costs. Because when we're postpartum, the cost is our healing, is our recovery, and as we see very often, is our mental state. Everything about us is affected by the way that we move through the postpartum period. So I try to encourage people to rest. You know, it's it seems like an obvious thing to say, but it's the hardest thing to do, to stay in bed um, for those, those first couple of days. So for people who give birth at the hospital, that's sort of dictated by the, the way that care is provided. You're in the hospital, you're being cared for by nurses, um, you've got those regular clinical checkups, you know, every couple of hours, but... For people who give birth in the community setting, they're home for those first couple of days. Um, For people who give birth at home, they're home. So I stay with people for the first few hours postpartum, and then I come back sometime between 24 and 48 hours. And what I want, my ideal scenario is that you're not the person answering the door for me. Unless you don't have any other support person there, I want you in bed. I want to arrive to you in bed with your baby, being nourished 
Um, that's a big thing, making sure that someone else is preparing meals and that they are super nutrient dense. Um, you're replenishing your body after it's done this really huge physical act and, and that you're cared for. So either by your partner or your family or someone in your community is there doing the heavy lifting for you, whether that's housework or preparing meals or just being an ear for you while you're able to take care of your baby. So what is it about laying down that is, I mean, obviously your bottom is, is going to be tender and, and that physical healing needs to happen. But talk to me a little bit about kind of the physical side of that recovery. Yeah, it's relaxing all of the voluntary muscles, the parts of your body that we move so that the involuntary internal healing can take place so that all of your your blood circulation can go towards your uterus, which is contracting and restoring itself to its pre-birth size and controlling your bleeding so that you can feed your baby. You know, if we're up doing housework and we hear stories of our elder relatives who got right back to it and had to go back to work or all of these stories of bootstraps and gumption but really traditionally most cultures aside from our modern one right now have a history of a 30 or 40 day lying in period so that you can stay warm you can learn how to feed your baby you can bond and your body can really do the healing work of postpartum and if you think about like those newborn days it's so short I mean A one or two week old baby is only one or two weeks old for one or two weeks. That's 14 days. That's 14 days of your whole life that you have that fresh, squishy little newborn. And then they start growing so quickly. I I mean, I don't know if you remember, you know, at Juniper's six week visit, she had gained, I think, like seven pounds. She got big, like really fast. Yeah, she was like a whole new baby by then. She looked so different. And so when I look back at those brand new newborn pictures, I don't even remember because it was such a blur. So if you're busy doing things, even after, I mean, I think a lot of moms, I think typically, you know, two to three days. Most people will be like, yeah, we'll do two to three days. But I think once you're getting upwards of a week, a lot of women are like, I just can't do it. So what do you say to that? So I, there's a, there's a lot of midwives who have different little sayings about this and I've kind of adopted or adapted my own, but I tell people for the first two or three days, stay in bed as much as possible. And then for the first two or three weeks, be around the bed, you know, minimal work. You're around the house, in the yard, being outside, getting sunshine is really important in the postpartum. And then for the next two to three weeks, you know, and that gets us to our standard six weeks postpartum that we've all come to, you know, understand as the postpartum period, um, really using your body as a barometer for how much activity you can handle. There are some people who feel great and then they start doing physical activity and then they notice that their bleeding increases or they're passing these large clots and they don't understand what's going on because they feel good, you know, externally everywhere else. But what they can't see is that their uterus is still healing. So that's one One of the vital signs, you know, we say the menstrual cycle is the fifth vital sign. Your postpartum bleeding is another. And that lets us know, like, hey, maybe we need to pull it back a little bit. 
I remember after my birth, you told me to keep my legs crossed like a mermaid, and you were the first midwife to tell me that. Explain to me why you said that. Um, So when there's any kind of vaginal tearing um, at the perineum or or any place in the vulva, it's important to let the body do what it knows how to do. It is a very, uh, another midwife friend of mine calls it a forgiving neighborhood. It wants to come back together. Um, That tissue is vascular. It comes together naturally, but there are a lot of people who want to take a look at it. They get the mirror out or they have their partner look at it. Um, They get really concerned with the pace of the healing, not realizing that they're interfering with it. So that's another reason for that laying in period because your legs are together and so your vagina is closed. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk a little bit about emotional healing and you know, it, it's different after every baby, obviously after your first baby, it's a much different situation because you've done this new thing that you've never done before. Um, so let's first talk about first time mom emotions and what's normal and what to expect there. And then let's just talk about any mom and what that recovery could look like. Yeah. I think first babies are a huge transition because we're really becoming someone new. You know, we're we're grieving almost the person that we were before we became a mother, even as badly as we want to be a mother. So there's some of that to be processed and it's important to take that time and say, okay, I'm, I'm still all of those things, but I'm also this. How amazing is that? Um, I also think it's important to differentiate between feelings of frustration or sadness about maybe a lack of support that we have or um, misunderstandings we're having with our partner and that more deep postpartum depression type sadness where it's a chemical and a hormonal change that we just can't community care our way out of. Mm. How do you tell the difference between those two things? Um, So there are some, there's a scale called the Edinburgh Postpartum Depression Scale um, that asks a a number of questions. But typically the symptoms of postpartum depression are that you don't want to get out of bed. You don't find enjoyment in the things that you used to get joy from. You either can't sleep or only want to sleep. Um, There's also postpartum anxiety uh, where you can have what feel like irrational fears about your baby's well-being, about your own health. You might not want to go anywhere uh, in, in order to protect your baby and yourself. And it can be hard for people to know the difference between, okay, what's just being concerned mama bear about my baby and what's actually preventing me from doing things that I want to do. So if you're having friends that you love inviting you out to do things and you you know, can't get yourself out of the house, then it's maybe time to talk to somebody so that you can have a real evaluation about what's going on. I always recommended too in my childbirth classes, I would really speak to the partner because sometimes when you're in it, it's really hard to be self-perceptive and to be able to say, I really think I'm having an issue, especially if it's your first baby because you don't know what normal is and you might just feel... I don't know, like you're just going crazy, but you don't want to say anything. I, after my third baby suffered from postpartum anxiety, 
which is a totally different thing. It's not the same as, as depression because I had tons of energy. Right. I was surprised with how much energy I had with two little ones and a baby. I was surprised at what that felt like to have that anxiety. I, and it took me probably six or eight weeks to even realize it. I experienced things like I think our oldest was three at the time, and I was, like, panicking over what we were going to do for kindergarten, which was just, like, way out on the horizon. And there were so many things that I was just, like, freaked out about that were not normal or necessary to be panicking about. Other things, like I had really blurry vision, and um, I remember one time I was driving, and my, my eyes just kind of glazed over, and I swerved a little into another lane and didn't realize until I got home I was like kind of like oh my gosh like I just barely avoided a car accident and realized something is weird here what where was my brain why was I in such a fog and that's when I really you know realized there was an issue and for me thankfully the treatment was was simple you know I cut out caffeine I you know added ashwagandha and some other really helpful herbs that really helped to kind of calm me down and um, really just reiterated the type of support I needed to my to my support people around. But um, what would you say to the person who maybe doesn't have support or doesn't have good support? Maybe they have a partner who doesn't understand or doesn't think that this is a real thing. What would you recommend? I think if someone doesn't have support, I think it's super important to just focus on what the basic needs are. I think it's okay to treat postpartum as a survival period. You know, we don't need to measure ourselves against whatever expectations we've set out for ourselves in postpartum or whatever the cultural expectation is. The basic needs are feeding your baby, resting your body, and healing, which includes feeding yourself. So as long as those basic needs are met, you can let other things go. Um, I would also encourage people to find just one person who can be your lifeline throughout that. So whether that is um, your care provider, you know, whether it's your OB or midwife who can refer you to other resources. Um, Healthy Start is our local um, resource for pregnancy and postpartum. They do home visits for people who need it. Uh, WIC has peer counselors. There are online support groups. There are more online support groups now than ever. You can really find virtual lactation support or postpartum mood support. Um, But just having somebody that you can reach out to on a regular basis to check in with is really essential. Yes. I think really having that mindset going in before you have your baby that, you know, the whole put your own mask on first. I guess the word mask now has a different connotation than it used to, but you know, on the airplane, you know, you have to get your own oxygen supply first before you can help other people. And, you know, especially after having multiple children, I surely have realized that now that if, if I'm not taking care of myself, I cannot be thriving and well enough to take care of my children. So committing to yourself, I've got to find a way to make sure I'm cared for whatever that is. Um, There are so many really good ideas out there about prepping for postpartum, making freezer meals, even if you're a part of a church community or, you know, if you have a group of friends that you could talk to ahead of time about doing a meal train and making sure you have foods available, especially if your partner has to go back to work right away, 
you've got to eat foods and standing on your feet cooking is not ideal and you know eating fast food and convenience meals is also not ideal because you talked about you need to be eating nutrient-dense foods so eating a lot of junk food and things like that even though it might be a quick snack if you're hungry especially when you're nursing because you can get really really hungry while you're nursing is not going to be helpful so planning ahead is obviously helpful. What are some other things that you would recommend moms could do to plan ahead to prepare for the postpartum time? Um, I think just thinking about postpartum like any other thing we plan for during pregnancy, you know, setting your postpartum needs up like a baby registry. We spend so much time researching strollers and baby sleep devices and chairs and things when what we really need or what our babies really need is a healthy, nourished mother um, to be able to move through that that fourth trimester. That's why, you know, a little commercial here, why I love so much our postpartum kit because, and I've had so many people who've bought it say to me, oh my gosh, I love this so much because I could just buy a cute little onesie for my friend or, you know, whatever's off their registry, but this is actually something for mom to care for herself. It's not just, you know, a cute little thing for the baby. The postpartum bath has seven baths in it because that requires you for seven days to take a bath, to take that time to rest and, you know, have that rejuvenation, heal your bottom, take care of yourself. So, I mean, that's the reason why I made it that number so you could in your mind think okay seven days seven baths I can do this I can take 30 minutes for myself in that postpartum time to take care of myself but as you know even if you're not expecting right now or if you're past the childbearing years thinking as you are supporting those women that you know thinking not just about baby coming because that's all everybody thinks about the baby's the show but the mom is the one who has done this incredible thing she's the one who needs the support I joke I joked on Juniper's birthday that it was my giving birthday (laughs) I always say that all my kids birthdays happy giving birthday to me because we should be celebrated as moms for this big thing that we've done and I think as a culture as women we need to look more at how we can support these women and not just be excited about the baby that's that's a hard thing to say it sounds terrible but it is it's really hard because we go you know, we go visit somebody who's just given birth and we want to hold that baby. We do. Um, I don't because I see babies all the time, but as a culture, we, we love babies. They're so hopeful. But the most important thing that you can do when you go visit a new family is to ask them what they need, um, to ask them what they need to be able to hold their baby more. So maybe mom needs a shower Maybe she needs some sleep, but most often what she needs is just time alone with her baby. So not being judgmental about the way she's feeding, not um, having questions about things that might feel personal to her. Come in with food. Do not show up empty-handed to a new family, and then don't leave empty-handed. Take out their trash. Ask what you can do, I think, is the most important thing. I often, especially in the childbirth classes, too, I, I would encourage moms to be vulnerable and to let people into your mess if you can. If someone comes to visit you and says, can I help you with anything? Resist the urge to say, oh no, it's fine. I've got it. Everything's fine. 
Because there's always something that you could use help with it. I mean, have the guts to say, gosh, we don't have any clean towels. Would you mind throwing a load of towels in for us? I always say, if you were to go visit somebody who had just had a baby and they said that to you, would you be like, oh my God, no, of course you wouldn't. No, you would say, thank you for giving me the opportunity to help you. And I said, what you're doing is you're actually helping them out because they're going to feel really good about themselves later for the good deed that they did for you. So you're really serving them by letting them serve you. Yeah. (laughs) That's the way I look at it. I think that's a really important part of the conversation is normalizing asking for help when we need it. We have these like two opposing conversations about birth and motherhood that birth is normal. It's a normal everyday event. Uh, It's most of the time goes right. But on the other hand, it's huge. Like birth is huge and postpartum is pivotal for people. And so we shouldn't stop treating them like the transformative events that they are. So if we talk about them with a balance between those things, yes, they're normal, but it's also normal to need support and to provide support. We should be behaving in community that way. Yes. So I want to back up a little bit and talk about, so we talked a little bit about first-time moms, but what about moms that are on their second or third or fourth baby? How does support look different or recovery look different for that mom? It depends on the age of the other children, always, but oftentimes that is a way that people can help is by entertaining the older children, and that can be part of postpartum planning as well. So someone during pregnancy could say, okay, these are the people I know I can call to safely pick up my kids, and I know they're going to be fine for the day, and I don't have to worry about them, or these are the activities that we're going to do. If you're homeschooling or if you... You know, say it's summertime, you have nothing to do with your kids all day. You need to have a plan so that they're not sitting in front of screens all day if that's not what you'd like them to be doing. But also forgive yourself for those days when you have to. Um, I talked to somebody recently who's pregnant and not feeling well and was feeling so much guilt about the amount of TV that the kids watch. And remembering that this is temporary is a really important factor. Like they're going to learn on Sesame Street or YouTube or whatever. There's so much great stuff out there. They will be fine and this will not last forever. Yes, I, man, I have been there, especially with my first three are, are just right on top of each other. They're all really close in age. And man, in those early days when you're just so tired and it's just like, you know what, we have to survive today. The kids were fed. They made it. Yeah. We're all okay. Exactly. <laughs> look at your accomplishments at the end of the day. Don't look at a to-do list. At the end of the day, you can look back and say, everybody ate. Everybody's happy. We got some good cuddles in and you've succeeded. So I want to talk a little bit about kind of post-postpartum. That transition from those days where everyone's kind of like, you know, there and excited and the baby's new and people are visiting and people are bringing you meals and you're kind of in this fragile state and everyone's kind of, you know, consider, granted you're getting good support, you know, it should be this kind of like honeymoon phase with new baby. And then as you kind of get past that six week mark and into that whole first year, talk to me about that transition from like the early like you're still bleeding and everything's still kind of fresh to kind of moving into now you're just a mom but you're still in that first year of postpartum where a lot of things are happening what is still happening in that whole first year 
Absolutely. Um, well, for starters, postpartum is forever. And the effects that birth and parenting have on our bodies and our spirits and minds and hearts lasts forever. So I think it's important to recognize that, um, especially as we decide how we move through that first year. Um, people are waiting for their periods to come back. People are unsure about what kind of physical activities they can do. So it's just one more reason to have a community of other people who are going through the same thing as you and to have a care provider or care professionals who can help guide you with that. So I'm often in the first year postpartum still in contact with a lot of my families, referring them to pelvic floor physical therapy, chiropractors, acupuncturists. There's still a lot going on with our bodies that needs support. And so that's one benefit of working with someone who is part of the community birth experience, I guess, is that we are connected with all of those different allied health professionals. Let's back up and talk a little bit about pelvic floor. Yeah. I didn't know until a few years ago that it's not normal to pee yourself if you laugh and mm-hmm. or sneeze. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a much neglected part of care here in America. And where it's become standard as part of postpartum care in other countries, we're just coming around to it here. So you're right. It is not normal to pee. And a lot of our mothers have have dealt with that, you know, peeing when they sneeze or having pelvic organ prolapse. We are just starting to talk more about it. And pelvic floor physical therapists are out there, like they're all over social media now, which is amazing. And it's something that you you know should be checked for at your six week visit. You know if that's some if you're having issues, there are a lot of people who don't want an exam and and are fine, but it's definitely a conversation that needs to be had. We don't know what's normal until we maybe whisper it to a friend. Like, does this happen to you? What's going on there? I know midwives and OB friends who are treating women who are in their seventies and eighties who have been coping with prolapse and issues for years and years wow. and finally just learning wow. that they can get support. That's so it's amazing. It's almost never too late to get pelvic floor support, but the sooner we do it, the easier our life easier our lives will be. And what does that entail, pelvic floor support or therapy? So it's usually um, an internal exam, an assessment um, for muscle tone, and there are various exercises involved. It's different for each person, you know, what they need, what their symptoms are. It's getting to know somebody and their whole pelvic floor health. It can help with sexual dysfunction. It can help with bladder, constipation issues, um, And the whole body is involved, even though the impact is usually on the pelvic floor muscles. It has to do with our core and our back and the way we walk and the way we carry ourselves. It impacts so much. Wow, that's amazing. I I didn't even know that that was a thing, honestly, like I said, until a couple years ago. And it's so cool, like how much more information we have now, how much more support we have access to that we used to. It's it's a much different time now than it was for our mothers and grandmothers. You mentioned briefly that the postpartum care is different in other countries. Talk to me a little bit about that. What is it that's different in the United States and what could we be doing better culturally? Oh, um, that 
is that could be its own podcast yeah. and probably is. We are one of only three nations in the world um, on planet Earth that do not have some sort of paid maternity leave for our mothers. As a culture, just really our, our values of productivity are really impacting families negatively. We expect people to get back to work. We don't provide services to people who need them often. And I mean, the World Health Organization recommends a minimum of 16 weeks for recovery. Wow. And, you know, a full fourth trimester would be 12 weeks. And we expect six weeks from people. And so we expect that six weeks to be this linear, like escalator of healing. And it often isn't because every family is in a unique situation. Not everybody can rest and nourish themselves and not every feeding journey goes normally. Uh, Not every birth goes normally. There are so many different things we're healing from. You know, there are other countries that give people leave for miscarriages. You know, these are things that if we really focused back on families and how we could support people and really saw a healthy family unit as something that would benefit the economy, that would benefit public health, these are all things that we we get really short-sighted about. We don't want to spend the money on the health care that could nourish and support families but we're not seeing what the end game could be. Like if we have healthy families, if we have mothers that don't have to return to work at six six weeks postpartum, what benefits could we have years down the road for them? Yeah, wow. That's such an interesting topic to think about and, and what our culture could look like if parents were supported and that having a family and raising children, raising up the next generation was seen as this positive impact on culture. And it wasn't just like, get back to work so you can make some, so much more money so you can send your kids off so you can get rid of them. And it, you know, right. It's a cycle. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I, I was back here, back at work, I think four or five days postpartum. But it was because it's so quiet here (laughs) and the house was so noisy with all the kids and I did have someone to care for my children. And for me, it was just such a nice place to get away and just have that quiet time with the baby and just sort of sit back. And but looking back, I probably should have waited just a little bit longer and, you know, just tried to to lay back a little bit. But I do I do see that temptation to want to just like get back at it. And but having a baby is not a roadblock. And that's something personally that I've really had to sort through. And as you said, sort of like grieving who you were before and also like readjusting your expectations of motherhood and just how much it really changes your life. I thought, oh, I'm just going to have kids and then I'm going to keep doing all the things that I did before just with kids with me and realizing, wow, that's not at all how this goes. Right. And so, but really just personally trying to sort through, like, my kids are should never feel to me as though they are distracting me from the important work that needs to be done. They are the important work that needs to be done. And really just making them a priority, whether that's at two weeks old or at, you know, 10 years old, they need to know that they're valued and that we care for them, that they matter enough that we can step away from 
all these other tasks that we want to do. Now, I know that 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 doesn't mean, you know, I know a lot of families, like, you have to get back to work. You have to, you know, get things, find a way to figure this out. I understand, but it's not just a practical thing. It's a mindset of what is what is your priority is it being busy with things that you ought not be busy with or is it you know being busy with the important things of life you know yeah and that's you know each family has to look at that and and determine their values together and and figure out how they're going to move through that parenting period for sure you know we all do have to work in some way or another And so really putting your time together in a way that serves your family, that serves your community, and also that serves yourself, you know, remembering who you were before having kids. And it's something that you're able to do a little bit more as the kids get older and you're, they're a little more self-sufficient. And just like postpartum, remembering that these little kid years are temporary and one day they're not going to want to even hang out with you and you're going to have to go find something to do. So never really forgetting what you enjoy doing is is super important. You can rediscover it years later down the road, but but those things will always be there for you. Yes. It's always a season. Mm -hmm. That's hard to remember early on because because I'm still kind of in it. Your kids are a little bit older than mine. My oldest will be eight soon. And we're just now getting to the point where it's like we feel like we can breathe a little bit like okay everyone's potty trained except for the baby but most everyone can put their shoes on and you know our oldest can read now so he's a little more self-directed and but man in those early years it just feels like everything is going to last forever I remember our oldest was really colic for like the first six or eight weeks and he just cried and cried and cried and we were like that's it we're going to have a crying baby forever we're never going to sleep again and it just feels like it's going to last forever and now you know on this side of things especially after having just had the the first year with our last baby it just went by so fast and with each subsequent child it goes by faster and faster just remembering that, having that perspective that it's not going to last forever, even though it feels like it will. That's the story of parenting, I think. And it starts with pregnancy, right? We feel like we're going to be pregnant forever. This baby's never going to come. And then they do. And then you're in labor and you feel like your birth is going to last forever. You're going to be having this Each contraction is going to last forever. You're never going to get a break from it. You're going to be pushing forever. And then you've got this baby in your arms. And then whatever stage they're in from, you know, breastfeeding issues to teen troubles feels like it's going to last forever. But it doesn't. Wow. And then we die. (laughs) And then then we die. (laughs) And hopefully someone takes care of us through that as well. Wow, what a beautiful way to end this podcast about birth is ending it in death. Cycles, seasons, it's all part of it. Well, it was such a good time getting to catch up with you, and I hope we can do this again sometime. Maybe we can sit down and talk a little bit more about the changes that we think would be good to see. I would love that. I've got this stack of way too much information that I have to put somewhere, so I'll come back anytime. Just like parenting, this this (laughs) podcast goes by very quickly every time. Well, thanks so much for being here, and we'll see you all again soon. Thank you.